0: Hey there, humans. Welcome to Sinister Soup, the podcast where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of literature, film, and ridiculous conversation. I, as always, am one of your hosts, Clay Vermolum.
1: I am your other host, Travis Vermolum.
0: Yes. And today we're going to do all the usual things. Um, Our first segment is Bring Some Culture, uh, where we like to highlight somebody who is brightening up the creative landscape or darkening it up in an entertaining <laughs> way, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, someone who's out there doing that, it doesn't matter if it's music. It doesn't matter if it's uh, somebody literally just uh, doing branding for their business in a really cool way, creative way. We go all over the place. We talk about editors, artists, writers, musicians, um, and we're going to get into some more of that today. So Travis... Who are you shining the spotlight on in the creative world today?
1: They're definitely a group that I think quite a few people have heard of that are in sort of the geek culture world. I think they are the fifth most popular YouTube stream in Australia, which Australia actually has quite a few pretty big twitch and youtube streamers so that's actually a pretty big deal mm-hmm. but they're called viva la Dirtly. they are a kind of just short sketch comedy channel uh they started with music videos and they kind of moved on to starting their own sort of office skit um they do the one i like the show i like the most of theirs is called epic npc man and it's just this whole series of self-aware non-player characters that kind of like live in this video game and have to interact with like the player characters they have like existential crises and rivalries between like who gets the better quests and stuff um i've shown you a few of those videos they're Mm -hmm. just really funny they bring kind of a cool spoof twist on a lot of like conventional geeky stuff and they do everything from their like office skits which is real life people to epic npc man and they even do some like call of duty stuff that makes fun of uh shooter games and they even started a dnd live live action role-playing game that mm. they also kind of like partially act out uh it is really fun and their episodes are really short they're like 30 minutes so it's not as much of a commitment as like critical role um which is kind of nice sometimes, like as much as I love Critical Role, it's like uh, I don't want to sit down for four hours every time I want to watch a DD game. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's who I'm kind of shouting out, is Viva La Dirt, Re- Dirt League, and they're coming out with a movie soon called uh, Balin's Quest that'll mm-hmm. be on YouTube on the 9th. Check out Viva La Dirt League. So, what do you got for us today, bro?
0: Well, podcast ain't gonna make itself. <laughs> <laughs> I have got also a cool YouTube page that makes hilarious videos. Um, I was just reminded of them recently, but I used to be a really big fan. Actually, when they were first starting to like get a lot of viewers, I had started watching them around the time they like ramped up, and it was kind of fun to be uh, part of the bandwagon. Um, but they're overly sarcastic productions. I've talked to I you about them, them before. They're so oh, good. I love them. Yeah. They're fantastic. I was watching them right out of college. That was like my favorite thing to watch. I even used some of the videos for my classes uh, when I was a middle school teacher out there because it's such an entertaining channel. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels ever. And it's it's probably the most fun I've ever had uh, listening to a summary of like The Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, So good. Such a great channel. Um, her art is amazing. She has great comedic timing. Uh, they both do. And, yeah, I couldn't recommend them higher. So, if you like history, you like mythology, and you want to see it done in a really playful, hilarious way, um, go check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. My favorite one is Beowulf.
1: I think I definitely got, like, hooked on them when you showed me the Paradise Lost one, and she did part. <laughs> or, as I like to call it, Sexy Satan. And I sexy <laughs> like Satan. This is... Yes, because that is exactly what that that story like tries to portray is this like broody emo Mm -hmm. version of of like the devil and
0: yeah sympathy for the devil Mm -hmm. definitely they're so funny really accurate like really good at summarizing like you can definitely tell they did the work to Mm -hmm. read these works and like analyze them you know
1: they do a very wonderful job so definitely glad you put them at the forefront they're overly sarcastic great channel to listen to so bro what are we debating today in our segment? We've gotten a few names suggested. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe if you're a listener, you can uh, give us a, a message on any of our social medias on which one you of these you think is the best. Um, we've thought roll for critique, which was given to us by the listener, a listener a friend of mine, Johnny. And then, what was the other one we got, bro? The
0: Travis trolls because. Well, we all know why. If you're a listener, then you know why.
1: Because I Tri- always lose and I always have to troll.
0: <laughs> he has lost literally every dice roll so far. So we'll see. We will see. We're going to roll okay. today. Um, but before we roll, we'll, we'll tell you what's going on here. We're going to be debating Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Classic pinnacle of the sci-fi genre uh, by by one of the sci-fi gods. But you know, the sci-fi gods don't always, don't always write stories that I like. So we'll just see if I like it or not. We will see, is
1: this a classic or a piece of trash?
0: That's right. And speaking of gods, the dice gods are gonna decide which side we have to argue for. The higher role, as always, will defend the book vehemently as if it is the greatest piece of art that has ever graced their eyes. And the lower roll.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll tell about the lower roll. Um, yeah, it's the lower roll has to explain why the piece of art is a piece of trash and deserves to be forgotten and put <laughs> to the wayside and thrown into a heap of equally forgettable material. All right. Well,
0: let's see what let's see who's who today. All right. Dice gods. Let us know. What'd you get?
1: You first. Fifteen. I won! Oh, no! (laughs) I got a seventeen.
0: Nice, dude. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I mean, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Um, This has been a long time coming. I'd like to thank the Academy and all of my friends. Which Academy?
0: (laughs) Uh, Just the Academy. Oh, just
1: the Academy. (laughs) Just the academia, all knowing. I would like general. to thank academia. <laughs> I would like to thank academia in general for letting me roll. Well, all right. <laughs> that <laughs> means I get to go first, right? That's the first time I'll, I'll that, get to go first.
0: You do, you do. All
1: right, timer is beginning, and I am going to start in. Boom. Let me just say, I'm very glad that this was the book I rolled high for because there's a hundred percent a reason that Asimov is one of the like foundational characters of the science fiction genre. The way he blends four different stories about this sort of prediction that the first character Harry Selden had for the future of the world is flawless almost. He creates like different atmospheres, different political engagements for each set of characters we follow but there's this distinctive timeline that runs through all of them like a nice little thread. It's like he's got different pieces of fabric that he's kind of pulling together to match with each other with this one sewing needle and thread. And I really enjoyed the way he did it. And I kind of like that they are broken up into distinctive parts because you can kind of pick your favorites um, and you can side with different characters. I also think there was a really strong presence, especially with the middle story of in the encyclopedias of like Salver Harden um, kind of having this uh, way in which you don't know how the main characters are going to get out of their tricky situations. They get put in these like, oh, the people don't have faith in them. They're not sure if they can succeed in their mission to like preserve the foundation and preserve this vision that the psychohistorians had. But once they do like get that – get to the point once Once Asimov brings you to the conclusions of his chapters, like all of it comes to head in this cool kind of like, oh wow, they pulled, pulled that off in such a cool way. It was almost like a Sherlock Holmes type, like mystery at the end. So it's this blend of genres that I really appreciated. And it definitely is very character driven. And the world is really cool. It's, it's possible that we could have these types of politics in the future. How everything relies on like nuclear resources and being able to survive off planet and i i really just kind of like how a genre blended and kept it vague enough that you still could function within it as a person of the modern day but expansive enough that there was this cool sci-fi element
0: yeah yeah i agree there was a sci-fi element um it was essentially just Rome in space. <laughs> I mean, the the reason it seems like it has a thread running through it, and why it seems so relatable, is because it's basically just the evolution of Europe, and then you evolve into a time where the middle class starts to be on the rise, and that usually is accompanied, kind of like it was also in like World War II, mm-hmm. is accompanied by like an increase. In patriotism and localized uh, power and uh, the empowerment of the common people, or at least the supposed empowerment of the common people, which allows the middle class to kind of thrive and overthrow the old uh, regimes that were pulling all the puppet strings. So it's pretty similar to those kinds of evolutions that have happened throughout human history and in lots of empires, you know. And he didn't, you know, he didn't do a bad job of doing it, but he didn't make anything up either i also like that uh what something i really did like about the book is how there's um what one female character in the entire book and she's a receptionist so that was pretty good Mm, mm. that's the only one that i really uh that i'm really remembering too too much was yeah there was like no females in in the whole world um they were mentioned like in passing
1: fair i mean yeah like it was written in a different time and I mean I'm not using that as an excuse for not including more voices in literature. I mean, it's definitely a huge problem. But also like you're you've kind of pinpointed why of like this was based very, very heavily off like Roman Empire Roman emperors and Roman politicians. And most of them would have been predominantly male. He's definitely gonna just reflect that in his sort of science fiction retelling of Rome and i don't think there's anything wrong with that like he was definitely the first one to do it the sort of retelling of that roman progression into sort of more of a modern european government it was a new idea for his time it was it set the foundation for what we know of a lot of science fiction today is very political and i think it he did such a good job of I particularly like the middle section of how you get these kind of dual sides of solve, Salvador Hardin because you get the section where he's sort of the upriser. He's the one who's rebelling against the Encyclopedias, But then he comes into power and you get the third section of the mayors and they're, the actionist party is, like, rising against him. But he basically has to, like, say, no, like, I'm still right. Like, you still have to, like, understand that this is all part of the original plan so you get this like dual character of him where for a little bit in the third section you're kind of like are you the idiot now are you the one that like needs to be torn down but Asimov definitely like brings you around to realizing that he gets that the vision hasn't been realized yet and in the fourth part we'll kind of get a, a broader scope of that.
0: I didn't really see it as much of a duality because I don't know. I thought Asimov was always honestly pretty transparent about like his characters like if you're in the point of view of those characters to me it was pretty predictable how it was going to go. You knew that character was going to succeed. You knew that character was going to be the next like one to carry on the gospel because essentially that's that's another thing. It was a lot like a religious evolution with the way that the science was used the line drawn to like the rise of christianity was pretty transparent um but again like you said it's part of the time period i just like i always knew that the character whose mind we were in was gonna succeed like no matter what he did because that's just how the story went it was predictable
1: yeah but i think that was like intentional like i said i compared to sherlock holmes you never start a sherlock holmes book and think like sherlock holmes is gonna He's not going to solve the mystery. <laughs> like, he's not going to thwart the bad guy. He's not going to figure out how to best Moriarty. That's never a thought you have when you start a Sherlock Holmes book. It's not about him succeeding. It's about how he does it. And I think Asimov definitely came strong with that of I the same. I started each section and was like, okay, who's the first character we're taking the viewpoint of? Cool, they're the hero, so they're going to win, but how? Because there's a lot of things that are against them, and I don't see the way out of this puzzle. I can't predict the end. I know they'll win, but how? It was cool to kind of follow that, like, jigsaw puzzle that he put together and learn how at the end.
0: Yeah, I don't feel that way about it. I don't think that's a virtue. I'll go back to Sherlock Holmes. That's why Sherlock Holmes sucks. I'll say it. Sherlock Holmes sucks. Yeah take that geeks because of what you just said like it doesn't matter how convoluted the mystery is at the end of it like Sherlock's just gonna tell you all the answers so yeah, that's it's the same reason I could never watch that show House which is just Sherlock but Doctors um cause like they always try to like drum up all this drama and like there's things happening and this is the person gonna die and yeah well sometimes cause Doctors but usually no Usually, House takes a look at the whiteboard. He's like, it's this. You're like, okay.
1: Beer of the week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Just in time.
1: (laughs) Before you start ranting too much about House, looking at the whiteboard and just figuring out the patient.
0: Okay. We're uh, we're cracking some beers. I'm cracking the ecliptic phaser hazy IPA. Back on the quest. That's from Portland, Oregon, ecliptic, and uh, when I worked at the beer store, we sold a lot of kegs of this, so it must be, it must be.
1: It must be. Um, I, today, will be drinking a um, M&M, uh, M&M from Tin Lizard Brewing Company. I've had one of their beers on here before, but mm-hmm. there's an IPA joining you on the quest.
0: Tin Lizard, they're back.
1: Tin Lizard is back.
0: Alright, I'm excited because you really liked the Tin Lizard one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hope the IPA works. Let's try it out. Alright.
1: Hmm. What do you think? Eh.
0: <laughs> Just eh. Yeah, it's not the worst one I've had, that's for sure. Not so happy. I can't drink it. I it's... feel the same
1: about this yeah. one. It's definitely like not as hoppy as most I drink, but I did specifically ask for one that had less hops. It has kind of a really good citru- citrusy flavor. Yeah. Um I don't think you would like it. It's too sweet, but mm. it's not bad.
0: Okay, yeah, this one's just—it just tastes like hops, really. Mm. Nothing mm. special. Pretty typical IPA. Well, the
1: journey continues, bro. Okay. Um. Yeah.
0: Onward. Tell How us do what we really feel about? Foundation.
1: Yeah, how do you really feel? I want to hear. It. The opposition always has to go first with the revelation, and you're the opposition this time.
0: That's true. Um, I mean, I disagree with everything I said, guys, <laughs> except the uh, the woman thing. That was the only argument I had that I was like, I'm not gonna be able to go for very long tearing this apart. So no, that's I'm gonna fair.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> when you said it, I didn't actually even really. Which probably says something not good about like me when I was reading it, but I really didn't notice that as much because I was so immersed in the story. And then as soon as you said it, I started like thinking, and I was like, "Women characters, women. Ca- oh no, there's none. There's none in that book.
0: <laughs> there's literally one secretary that answers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, <laughs> definitely outdated in its representation." Um, which is I'm kind of excited. They're making an Apple TV show, and they recast. Uh, mm. They recast who was it? Salverhard, like mm. the main character, is now played by a woman, which makes no difference in the story. Like it's mm-hmm. the story will be the same. It'll just be a female character now, which is awesome.
0: I mean, it makes even more sense that there'd be lots of opposition to her.
1: Yeah, that makes it. Yeah, Harden like is a, always getting like torn down, so it'll make even more sense.
0: Council of old men. Mm -hmm. that was really the only like one i actually agree with that i argued i was completely immersed in the story um i thought it was brilliantly done awesome sci-fi world based on foundational historical things that the cycle that humanity always repeats which is why uh psycho uh what's it called psycho psychology psycho historians psycho historians it's why they can it's why they can predict the future, because mm-hmm. they have the math of the past, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how it always goes. This is how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And they're right. And there's a lot of good sci-fi books that, that touch on that.
1: Mm-hmm. I really like, too, that Harry Seldon's, like, his whole f- predictions were, were dependent on people not knowing about them. Right. Really, like that first that ending of the second section, how his like hologram comes up and is like, Yeah, I knew everything that was gonna happen, but if I would have told you, it wouldn't have happened. Like <laughs> and I was like that's mm-hmm. a cool way to like kind of think of predicting the future that he knows that it kind of just has to play itself out and he has to put all the wheels into place for it to play out. Mm-hmm. Or his or job else is change.
0: Yeah, his job is to place the pieces, not move them around. They have to move themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All he can do is put them where they're statistically going to go the way he wants. Basically, he's like a societal engineer.
1: And that the smarter the smarter individuals of the Foundation, like Salver Harden, like see that. And mm-hmm. they try and convince everyone. And they're like, no, we're supposed to preserve history. That's our whole purpose. Harden's like, no, I think there's more than this and that we were purposely put on this planet and told a fake job essentially
0: which is yeah which is great because i mean governments do that to their people all the time Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. they say
0: this is the most important mission you can do maybe we'll find out in in 50 years that that's exactly what covid was you know Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. knows it's possible
1: it's possible
0: i don't believe that right now but it's it's entirely possible governments have done worse things yeah. Um, and governments have control over people like they've never had before. On that pleasant note, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great book. Isaac Asimov is a master. He's he's a god of the genre for a reason. I loved Foundation. It, yeah. was, a, it was a great read. And I realized the Encyclopedia Galactica is from that. I actually didn't know that. Um, I've read okay. The Hitchhiker's Guide like 80 times.
1: Mm.
0: And it's referenced constantly in there. <laughs> It's, See, uh,
1: I need to read that series.
0: Oh, you have to. I I would uh, definitely review it because maybe I read it eighty times just to try to figure out why a book that bad could get published. <laughs> so I, I can publish can you take my own take that work.
1: Back now I feel like people have a bead on why you. Right? Like maybe. <laughs> oh, you're right. Uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe. I do have to ask you one thing before we get too far. Um, because you said I take back everything I said. Mm. Do you take, are you really a Sherlock Holmes hater? Or was that fake?
0: Um, that was actually, that was fake, mostly. Okay. okay. I <laughs> I think my point is correct, and I am
1: a house hater. No, that makes sense. I'm with you on the house <laughs> thing. Like, the house thing, totally different, but.
0: Yeah. Um, But uh, no, Sherlock, you know, it's like you say. If you expect anything else, then that's your fault.
1: Yeah, or expecting James Bond to, like, not get the girl and kill the mm-hmm. bad guy. Like, it's more about how he does it than it is about him doing it.
0: You know it's going to be done. Yeah. And, I mean, usually in most stories, the protagonist is is going to succeed. That's just how stories work. That's why you're listening to the story about this person because it's their story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be George Martin and going to be like, just kidding
1: or make, like, their protagonist actually kind of a really hard person to love. That's not also normal. That's that's why it's called Tropes Subversion when it's done. hmm
0: Right. And, I mean, these are the old masters, so they were definitely doing the tropes. That's where the tropes came from. Yeah, they made the tropes. They made the tropes. Then that's why they're copied, because they did them so well. So, anyway, we got to wrap it up here. That's a podcast, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Travis. That's a podcast.
0: Where can they find you?
1: You can find me at OG on Instagram or uh, at tvermolum on TikTok. I tend to just do book reviews and stuff, so look me up on either of those platforms.
0: And you can find me at clavermolumfiction.com. That would be my preferred place for you to find me because I really want to drive more traffic to that website. You can contact me through my Contact Me page, and if you sign up for my newsletter, you get a free monthly horror story. And then there's also uh, blog content. I release monster articles every Friday, and then we have a vote, and you get to select what characters and creatures I write about at the end of the month. So please check out my website, grab the newsletter, and then follow me on Instagram, Fiction.
1: We want to thank you again for tuning in to Sinister Soup, listening to us debate, chaps, and be weird and geeky. I've been Clay Vermulum, And I have been
0: Travis Vermulam. And we are both